Many of you know this song as it's playing. So what do you think of when you hear this song? It played at my daughter's wedding. This is our, a wedding song that a lot of brides walk into. Thanks, Dale. And the pastor would say, Beloved, we are gathered here in the sight of God and in the presence of these witnesses to join this bride and this groom in holy matrimony, commended to be honorable among all and therefore is not to be entered into lightly, but reverently, passionately, lovingly, and solemnly. A wedding ceremony. <clears throat> when Pastor Devin... Um, I got the text last night at 11 o'clock. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Dale and I started praying, and part of my testimony came to my mind and um, started uh, just praying through that and felt like God was encouraging me to share a little bit about my story with you this morning. I know all of us have different views of what marriage is. We come from different backgrounds and different circumstances <clears throat> have tinted our view of marriage. But if you can hold with me, I'd like to explore the design of marriage that God has called us to in the context of a relationship between himself and each of us. Even in our relationship with Christ, individuals struggle. Some begin the journey and fall away, while others fail to respond to God's offer and hold him always at his arm's length. Still, there are others that are growing in the relationship, and it has had a long relationship, many years, but have become stagnant. So let's take a step back, and for all of us to look at the relationship with new eyes, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord or if you are meeting him today for the very first time. As an act of grace, God exposes all people to the possibility of a faith in Christ. And God begins by giving each of us a measure of faith. But let's explore the phrase we call courtship. Some of you might be familiar with that phrase. It's not dating, but it's dating um, because dating is like something for a while, and then you disregard. But courtship is meaning to develop a relationship with marriage as the end goal, a lifetime commitment, a love affair. God is constantly calling people to himself, to a relationship, and many have heard the still small voice of invitation, follow me, in Matthew 9, 9, and in Matthew 11, come, he says. These are just a couple of his examples in the scripture. Christ longs to have this relationship with you. His desire is to express his love for you, to protect you, and to walk this journey of life each day with you. God's universal invitation is to everyone, no matter what. 
But I'd like to make this personal because that's what a relationship's all about. <clears throat> so, in John three sixteen, it says, for God so loved, we usually say the world, but what I want you to do is I want you to place your name in this verse. For God so loved Deneen that he gave his only begotten son that if she would believe in him, she would not perish, but have eternal life. And in Romans 5, 8, the same is true, but God demonstrated his, his love for Deneen that while she was still a sinner, Christ died for her. <clears throat> My journey, like some, had different growing seasons, which continues no matter how old you are. And I just had a birthday, so trust me, no matter how old you are. <laughs> like the seasons of the year, there's a fall, a season of harvest, winter, a season of dormancy, spring, a season of growth, and summer, a season of fun and fellowship. Not in that order, of course, but I believe we will see all four seasons in our walk with Christ. My journey began 1978, I guess. You, oh boy, I'm really dating myself now. Shouldn't have said the year. <laughs> It's hard to put a date really on it for me, but I was raised in a Christian home. My parents worked in the church as long as I can remember serving in many areas. But for a period of time um, in my junior and high school years, my parents were the youth directors at our church. We attended church regularly. At a youth retreat, I was 13 years old, and that's when I can remember asking Jesus in my heart and being baptized soon after following the traditional steps of faith, you would say. I remember memorizing scripture so that the church would pay for me to go to youth retreat each year because we couldn't afford for me to go otherwise. But not really doing anything <clears throat> myself in my, to grow in my faith or to build on my relationship with Christ. It was the thing to do. I had to reach the age of accountability, as some would say. I never looked at my decision as a relational one when I was younger. In my mind, the decision was made. I understand what he did for me. Check it off the box. But that's where it begins, doesn't it? In our minds, we hold God at arm's length. We need to come to a point that we recognize our need for Christ in our life, but too often we minimize our sin. We justify sin, and we are pridefully ignorant of it. No matter how our reaction is to sin, it leads to a separation from God, which is where repentance comes in. And repentance repairs our relationship with God, but it's not a singular event. It's a process that takes place, a path that we follow. In Romans 12, 2, he says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to make a conscious decision, a decision to action. Trans transformed is a verb meaning to change from appearance or 
structure to changing condition, nature, or our character, an ongoing action. Renewing is also a verb to continue, to come back, to start again. I like this definition to give fresh life or strength to. I believe there are steps or actions that we can take in our walk, not just recognizing, but to begin this transformation in our minds. Psalms 51 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Self-examination is required. Required. To know our sin. To take responsibility of our sin. And Luke 15 is a story of the prodigal son, and it states that he came to his senses. I love that. He came to his senses. The prodigal son made the first step in a new direction. He took a different direction. Our mind is the place of thought, understanding, beliefs, faith, and decision. And each of us must use our mind to make a new direction. Are there things in your own life that you need to confess, that you need to take a different direction from? My children would respond to me when a discussion would arise about making a right about making right choices. I know, I know. How many was teenagers have ever heard this, or junior high especially? Gray, have you ever done this? He just dropped his shirt out of his mouth, so evidently he has. I know, I know. My response would always be, I know that you know many things, but whether you implement that knowledge is a different story. Are there things that are coming to your mind right now that God's telling you and you're saying, I know, I know. Have you been walking with the Lord, but have you taken a step back and just said, I know, I know. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to confess our sin. In doing so, we can articulate and take responsibility for it. Even children being disciplined, they have to say it back for them to take responsibility for their actions. So I encourage you, when God brings something to your mind, say it. Say it out loud. In your closet, wherever you're at, but say it. It makes your mind take responsibility for that sin. We confess not only to God to God alone, but when we do in a community of believers, we find that we're not alone. If you hear a voice telling you that you are the only one that struggles with whatever that may be. I can tell you that it's Satan and he's a liar. He wants to isolate you. 
But when the body of believers come together and confess our sins one to another, we find strength and we find forgiveness. But seeking forgiveness only happens because of our grief over sin. We need to have godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is different than how the world thinks and reacts to their mistakes. When we truly have godly sorrow, we grieve over our sin because it has brought a division between us and God, and we desire for it to be gone. Worldly sorrow grieves because we got caught. 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow brings repentance, it says, that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly grief is shame, self-hatred, more sin, depression. Godly sorrow is a desire for God, confidence, a desire for more of God, and joy. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we have godly sorrow, we turn from sin, we repent of those things that are bringing stain to our relationship with Christ, and we start anew. Our focus is no longer on the sin, but on building an intimate relationship with Christ himself. We leave our old ways, and we cleave to Christ. Cleave means to stay very close to, to stick close to. What happens in a marriage if you look to the right or the left? What happens if you don't fix your eyes on your husband or your wife? The same can be true with our relationship with Christ. I'm a dreamer, and I dream in illustrations. And early in my marriage, I had an older lady in our church talk me through one of my dreams so that I could understand what was happening when I dream. So from time to time, I believe God speaks to me through my dreams. One particular dream was during a time of struggle for me. I was crying out loud to God and asking, why do I struggle with the same thing over and over again? My dream was of me walking on this beautiful path. Flowering hedges lined both sides. I was admiring the flowers and went from time to time reach out and touch one, but I would find that a thorn would prick my skin. The path became more and more narrow, and I found that the thorns became more and more abrasive. The flowers became dark, and I found that if I didn't stay in the center of the path, I would be pierced by the thorns on both sides. My skin showed scars, and my clothing was torn in it. If I remained in the middle of the path, though, I was safe. God showed me that the roses that I was so admiring were things that I thought I had no issues in my life with, that I could enjoy those things. But the reality is that they were sin that I covered up. And then if I continued in this way, they would bring scars and they bring injury to my walk. But if I remain in the center of his will for my life, I would be safe. 
It was during that time, that season, that I believe I fully committed my life to Christ. We were at a revival service. Does anybody know what that means if you're under the age of 30? (laughs) We were at a revival service. And a speaker asked what those things are that in my life that I had not given to Jesus, the things that I held on to. And at that moment, things did come to my mind, my past, my fears, my fear of not being in control of my life, but giving the control over to Christ. My time, my future, my job, my husband, and I went to the altar, and I gave it all to him that night, and I held nothing back. Is that where you're at right now? Our wedding vow in this ceremony is just that, to leave those things behind and to fix our eyes on God himself. Matthew 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. My relationship with Christ changed that night. I went home and I opened my Bible and his love letter poured over me. I couldn't get enough of it. I stayed up all night. His promises became his wedding vows to me. And in this love relationship that I still now hold on to. In Isaiah 54, 5, it says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The perfect husband. Sorry, Dale. but now this is what the Lord says he who created you he who formed you fear not for I have redeemed you I have summoned you by name you are mine in Isaiah 41 for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand who says to you do not fear I will help you When I read this verse, I envisioned my husband, Dale. June, we will celebrate 40 years of marriage. We take lots of walks. (laughs) Started a long time ago. When we do, we usually are holding hands. Our story began long before we were married, or began courtship, actually, Dale was my neighbor growing up. I've known him since we moved in. I think I was five. He was seven years old. He was that kid that rode his bike in front of my house, going into town, back and forth. The boy next door. Dale also became the friend in school that lived out his faith. I talked to him about everything. He was my best friend, the good and the ugly. No matter what I told him, he wouldn't go away. He just kept giving his advice of who I should date and who I should not date, and it went on and on. 
what I should wear, what I should not wear. <clears throat> yeah. When he came from home from college, he would call and ask for us to go for a walk. He would advise me still on the relationships. We used to write letters. Do you know what that is? When he was in college, and we would send him back and forth, and so I would tell him who I was dating, and so then he would kind of save up, I think, so when we went for our walks, there was plenty to talk about. He gave his opinion, <laughs> which I did not always appreciate. <laughs> On one of these walks, I thought, I would just put it out there, all of it, and maybe he would keep his opinions to himself. In my mind, I didn't deserve better than what I was given. After a moment of walking in silence, after I spilled my guts and <laughs> told him everything, he turned to me and he said, after much thought and prayer, I have come to the conclusion that there is no one good enough to date you, so I will do it myself. Yes, ladies, that's the line I fell for. <laughs> you see, no matter what I had done, Dale found and he placed value on me. He wanted to walk this journey with me. So we fast forward. We have four children at home. His job changes and he begins traveling. I'm at home with four kids trying to keep up with their schedules alone and not liking it much. I feel overwhelmed with the demands of life. We don't talk or take many walks anymore. And I begin to complain in my heart about little things he does because I feel we are not that close anymore. As I'm watching him pull away out of our driveway early in the morning to catch his flight, I say under my breath, I'm glad he's gone. And this voice out loud answers me, I can make that permanent. Looking to my right, I'm, we have this bow window in our house. I look to my right, And there he stands, Satan himself, I believe. I can tell you, I can still see him when I close my eyes. He begins saying back to me all the things that I've complained about in secret. The things I've been harboring in my heart against my husband. I really did not want to lose my relationship with Dale. I was just complaining because things were not as I liked or I thought they would be, so I blamed him. With tears on my face, I began to cry out to God to save my husband and to put a hedge of protection around him and to bring him back to me. And when I did that, the image disappeared. It wasn't long after that couple hours, Dale called me. I thought he would be on the plane by now. And he said he's coming home, that the plane had taken off, 
but returned to Indianapolis because the cabin would not pressurize. They found it would be better to cancel the flight altogether. I made a vow that day to not complain about things regarding my husband because he was looking out for me and the kids. He was providing for us and making a life and a home that we could be happy in. Maybe it didn't look like what I thought, but I needed to know that he was there. Is there things in your life that you blame God for because things didn't turn out the way you thought? It looks differently than what you imagined. Well, now we're empty nesters. Second honeymoon. (laughs) We pray for what God has for us next as we continue on this journey. We have more time to invest in each other, and we can spend more time together taking walks. It's more for to stay in shape now instead for the pleasure (laughs) Where are you in your journey of marriage? Your relationship with Christ. No matter what you've done, where you're from, where you've come from, how you've failed, God loves you and wants a relationship with you. He finds value in you. That relationship is there for you to take. God has already begun the process, a courtship pursuing you passionately and doing the work through the act of sending his son. Have you been together for many years and your relationship has become stagnant? As stated in Revelation 2.4, have you forsaken your first love? Now's the time to ask, what's next? Or have you been together for a while and things of this life have gotten in the way so that you no longer finish each other's sentences or know that the other's response will be is this your time to put aside your pride and confess your sin to God and others and will you seek true forgiveness and rest in the promises of God truly completely turning away from your sins or are you in a courtship stage and have not accepted his proposal yet Today can be your wedding day. God says to believe that his promises are true and then confess with your mouth. Say it out loud to yourself and to one another. Believe and confess and you will be saved from the destructive nature of your sin and enter into an eternal relationship with God which will last beyond death and into eternity. God is asking, if you can visualize with me, on bended knee, will we accept his gift of salvation, a life walking with him hand in hand? Today you can renew your vows to him. Or this could be your wedding day with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'd like to just, <clears throat> for us to take a few minutes I'd like everybody to close your eyes. We're learning in our small group about the blessing of stillness. 
So if we can just take a couple minutes, a few seconds here, and we're just going to be still before the Lord. For as much as you have consented to enter into this holy covenant and have witnessed the same before God and this company and you have pledged your faith to Christ alone, I now pronounce that you are his in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Those whom have been joined themselves with God, no man can separate. 